Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. Today, I'm going to tell you guys about the mysterious death of Blair Adams. So pour yourselves a strong cup of joe, and let's dive in. In 1996, Robert Dennis Blair Adams, who just goes by Blair Adams, so I'm just going to refer to him as that, was 31 years old and a foreman at a construction company in Surrey, British Columbia in Western Canada. He was described as a pretty ambitious and upbeat person. He kind of got along with everybody and was known to do a really good job at work. However, in the summer of 1996, things started to change. Blair started exhibiting periodic mood swings where he would seem paranoid and would seem like he was preoccupied and would kind of just make these like spacey mistakes like leaving construction sites unlocked things like that and then every now and then he would become kind of like angry and violent towards people which was completely out of character for Blair. In his past he had had a history of drug and alcohol abuse but at this point he was two years sober and everything seemed to be good until these mood swings started hitting. According to his mother, Sandra Edwards, Blair was beginning to really have issues, and he wasn't sleeping well. The mood swings continued, and she would try to ask him what was going on, and he would just say, I don't think I should tell you about it. But in interviews I watched with her, she always says she has no idea what he was talking about or what the it was. She said he'd always been kind and ambitious and had never suffered from any mental illnesses in the past. So it was very random. There was no like outside influences that could be um, an explanation for how Blair was acting. So this case, Erica, it's already starting to kind of sound like it. But the whole time I researched it, I kept thinking of Bryce Lespisa. And I'm kind of excited because I think this one's going to kind of draw you in like Bryce Lespisa did. Yeah, as you've been telling me the beginning part, I kept comparing it to Bryce Lespisa. Like the fact that he said, I can't talk about it and then never really got to talk about it. Bryce Lespisa said, hey, I need to talk to you about something and then never got to talk about it. Yeah. And just all of a sudden acting super strange and out of character with not a specific outside influence. It's a little strange. It was definitely out of the ordinary for him. And he started to tell people that he thought he was in trouble and somebody was following him and out to get him and that his life was in danger. So all these things are happening. And this leads up to Friday, July 5th in 1996. So on this day... Blair goes to his bank and withdraws all his savings. It was a little over $6,000 that he withdraws in cash. He also opens his safety deposit box and takes out over $1,000 in jewelry, gold, and platinum that he had at the bank. It was one of those things where I was reading it. I was like, do people actually do that? Because I always just thought people did that in movies and stuff. Like they actually put a bunch of valuables and safety deposit boxes at banks which makes a hundred percent sense but my family was always kind of like not trusting of banks I feel like it always had it stashed in their houses yeah my family members have always had just like a huge safe in their house where Mm -hmm. they keep all their valuables so I have no idea yeah I kind of was when I was researching this I was like I my mom was with me and I was like is this something people used to actually do or is it you know 
normal, but I assume it probably is since there are safety deposit boxes at banks. Also, on July 5th, Blair decides to take this random out-of-nowhere trip to his uncle's house a little ways away, who was not home at the time. So that was also noted as something strange he did out of nowhere, you know, with taking out all of his money. So what age is it again that schizophrenia sets in? I'm glad you asked that because this comes into play a lot in this case. Schizophrenia for males tends to set in. They give like a range of between 16 and 30. So it's a pretty wide range. This is definitely one of those cases where that illness gets thrown around a lot in speculation. On July 7th, Blair takes his car, it was a Chevrolet Chevette, and tries to board a ferry from Victoria and enter into the U.S. into Seattle. However, he gets stopped at Border Patrol and the officer is talking to him and he can see in his car that he's got a lot of cash and jewelry. He was by himself, a middle-aged man, and the Border Patrol would not let him cross for fear that he was somehow related into the drug trafficking or like a drug mule. And that's why he had all that money and valuables on him. So they deny him access into the U.S., He also said that he had no criminal history, but when they looked up his name, I guess he had had some previous issues with the law regarding his drug and alcohol addiction that he had in the past. So they thought that was suspicious as well. Blair then goes back home and ends up communicating at some point with his mom again and one of his other friends. And the next day, so Monday, July 8th, Blair leaves his mother's house in the morning and shows up to his job and quits out of nowhere, which was super unexpected because he had just recently in the past couple months been talking about how much he loved his job and how proud of the work he was doing. And another weird thing is when he showed up to quit, he didn't take his last paycheck, which seems a little odd. He then purchases a round trip ticket from Vancouver to Frankfurt, Germany, spends $1,600 on this ticket. And The flight was due to leave the next day, so it would have been Tuesday, July 9th. Why Frankfurt, Germany? Blair did have a little bit of a past history in Frankfurt. In late 1995, so it would have just been the year prior, he was living there and working for his stepfather's construction company at an assisted living facility right near Frankfurt. He actually was dating a woman there at the time, and... When he was there, everything seemed normal. I'm not really sure what brought him back to Canada, but from what I could tell, it was nothing bad. He just moved back to keep working near his mom, I presume. Later that night, Blair then shows up at a nearby friend's house and is talking to her about how he is fearing for his life again. He thinks someone's after him to kill him and is pleading with her to basically smuggle him across the border into the U.S. And this is late at night. And I guess this friend had kids and was unable or probably didn't want to entertain whatever issues he was having and didn't want to try to smuggle him into the U.S. So she told him no. And he just takes off. Why does he want to go to the U.S. so bad? No idea. He is convinced that somebody's trying to kill him and chasing him. So going to the U.S. would get him out of that? Is that what he's going for? I cannot tell you what he was thinking in his head. I have no idea. And his friends and family, they don't understand what would be pulling him to the U.S. either. From what they could tell, he didn't really have a lot of ties there. So it seemed odd. 
It was also strange because he just bought that ticket to go to Germany. Do you think he could have flown here from Canada to the U.S.? Because it wouldn't have been like border patrol. It would have just been the airport security. And that was prior to 2001. Yeah, I would think so. But instead, he is opting to either try to drive across the border or fly to Germany. Got it. Later on, Blair is then spotted wandering back near the border into the U.S., wandering around on foot with small scratches on his hands and legs. He's trying to cross the border on foot now. However, the border crossing sees him and notes that he matches a description of an auto theft suspect. So in Vancouver, a blue car was stolen and it was near where Blair was trying to cross the border. And so they were a little concerned that he might be the person who had stolen the car. However, they have no evidence to it. So they release him back into Canada and don't keep him detained. Next And now this is Tuesday. He shows up at the airport in Vancouver where his flight is supposed to depart. However, he doesn't board his flight. He instead asks for a refund on his ticket, stating that the person he was supposed to visit had gotten sick and he wasn't going to go anymore. So the airport refunds his ticket and then Blair rents a Nissan and heads back to the U.S. border. Haven't we tried this before? We sure have. But this time, guess what? He's more determined. (laughs) I'm not sure. It works. (laughs) And he is finally allowed access. This is his, what, third try trying to get into the U.S. or fourth? Third official one. I think from how the newspapers and articles describe it, there may have been a couple others. You can also count him going to his friends and I think begging her to smuggle him into the U.S. But Needless to say, he is desperately trying to leave Canada and go into the United States for what he has said at this point because somebody is chasing him and trying to kill him. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. So Blair then arrives in Seattle around 4 p.m., and leaves his Nissan at the airport there and buys a one-way ticket to Washington, D.C. for a little over $700, which is strange because if he were to purchase a round-trip ticket, it would have been half the price at this time. I'm not sure why. I thought that was weird, but, I mean, investigators and everyone points it out in the documentaries I watched which I just kind of wonder why a round-trip ticket would be cheaper, but he opts for the more expensive one-way ticket. The math is not adding up. (laughs) And even if he just wanted to go one way, but the round-trip was cheaper, wouldn't you just buy the round-trip anyways and just not board the plane? Exactly, and save like $300, $400. You know what? I I will say he's obviously not thinking logically, so it probably wasn't something that crossed his mind. But if it was me and somebody said, hey, it's $800 for a round trip or $1,600 for you to go one way, I'd be like, give me the round trip. Yeah, it's just another one of the things on this long list of items that 
are weird and strange about how Blair is acting. So he arrives in Washington, D.C. early the next morning via his flight and then rents a white Toyota Camry around 6.45 a.m. He then drives straight to Knoxville, Tennessee. It's about 500 miles, about seven hours, and drives straight there. However, I do want to mention that Blair has zero connections to anybody in Tennessee that any of his friends or family even know of. They have no idea why he would be going to Knoxville. So if you've been to Tennessee, you know how beautiful it is? That's probably why he was going. (laughs) I will give you that. Tennessee is beautiful, but it seems like a weird situation, I think, maybe. Once again, his logic seems to be gone. So I don't really know that there needs to be a reasoning behind it other than just the fact that there's pretty mountains. So you think Knoxville, Tennessee just magically popped in his head and he was like, okay. I honestly don't know why Knoxville, I guess, but Tennessee, I could see. Like, I think that for me, I don't have a place in Canada that I'd like to visit. But if I think about places around the world that I want to visit, I have a list of places. Maybe Tennessee was just a place of his that he'd always wanted to visit and he just never expressed it to anybody. Or maybe he was looking for something specific in that moment. Well, that's the thing. Was it completely random? Was it somewhere he just always wanted to go? But are you really going on like a vacation like this so abruptly? Like, oh, I want to... If you think someone's trying to kill you and is chasing you, I just kind of wonder for him why Knoxville, Tennessee was his chosen destination. Maybe it was because he thought that people wouldn't look for him there. Maybe because it was so random. He just kind of pointed to a place on the map and said, all right, let's try it. Yeah, I could see that. So around 5.30 that afternoon, Blair is seen at a gas station in Knoxville, Tennessee. What happens is he's telling the gas station attendant that his car won't start and he needs help. So an interstate repair service driver named Gerald Sapp comes to the gas station in response to it and is trying to help Blair out saying, what's going on? And Blair's saying, my key won't work. My car won't start. And Gerald goes, okay, can I see the key? Blair hands him the key, and it is a key to a Nissan vehicle, not a Toyota, which he was driving. The Toyota was the rental, correct? The Nissan was as well, but at this point, he has turned in the Nissan at the airport and now has a Toyota that he has rented and somehow has a Nissan key that he says should be working in this Toyota because he just used it to get to the gas station. And Gerald's like, well, let's look in your pockets and your car because you got the car here. So the key has to be somewhere. But Blair is adamant that this is the correct key. Logically. Once again, I almost wonder he's got to be hallucinating something. Especially so he thinks that people are after him, which could be a hallucination. He now thinks that this key works for this car. That was how he got here. Probably an hallucination or something else is happening like maybe he's got really early onset like Alzheimer's or something or it's a late schizophrenia or something like that where it's making him believe that the key in his hand is what he's had all along. You know we're not sure but from what Gerald says Blair didn't seem like he was under the influence of anything but he says that there was something off and that quote the guy was not all there end quote. So what Gerald does is he offers to drive Blair to a nearby motel to stay for the night until the next day when they can get a new key for the rental car. 
Blair arrives at the Fairfield Inn in Knoxville to, in theory, book a room for the night until he can get help with his car the next day. Blair goes into the motel and leaves. He goes into the motel, hangs out in the lobby a little bit, leaves. He does this five times within 40 minutes before finally going up to the counter and officially purchasing a room with a $100 bill and then walking away without getting his change. He had already gotten the key for the room, but then just leaves the motel. So where does he go if his car's not working? We have no idea. He's on foot. It's 1996, so we don't really have Uber and Lyft happening. Maybe he could have called a cab, but to my knowledge, he did not have a phone with him. This case was actually covered on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries, which I don't know if you guys ever watched that TV show, but it was one of my favorites growing up. But on it, they have an interview from the hotel employee who was interacting with Blair at the time, and she describes him as paranoid and nervous and agitated, and she says that... It seemed like he was expecting someone to come in and was following him in there, even though no one was there. He keeps looking behind his shoulders, looking at the door, and acting very odd and strange. And a lot of this is actually caught on the surveillance camera there. And so they were able to get an official like timestamp of him going in and out over that 40-minute period. And like I said, he gets the hotel room key, puts it in his pocket, and then leaves through the lobby's front doors at 7.37 p.m., And this is the last official account of Blair we have alive. The next morning at 7 a.m., about a half a mile away from the Fairfield Inn, two construction workers find Blair Adams' body in the parking lot of a construction site at a hotel. This is on July 11th, 1996. So it has been about six days since this whole ordeal started. Blair is found naked from the waist down. His pants had completely been removed and were laying inside out near his body. Investigators say it looked like someone had pulled them off of him. His socks were also off, laying inside out. His shoes were off and his shirt was ripped open. Around Blair was all the money he had in American, German, and Canadian dollars. And also a fanny pack that had a lot of the jewelry and platinum and gold that he had taken from his safety deposit box, as well as some keys and his hotel room key. There is also the key to the Toyota car that was supposedly missing nearby him on the ground. One of his shoes was placed under his head, which they said it looked like it was being used as like a pillow. There was also a black duffel bag nearby that contained maps and various travel receipts of Blair's. So none of his, like, money or possessions were stolen? None of them were gone. He had multiple cuts and abrasions to his hands and to his face that were consistent with self-defense. And Blair had died from a hit to his abdomen that ruptured his stomach and led to septic shock. And they believe it was with possibly a baseball bat or a crowbar or something of that nature. His time of death was estimated to be around 3.30 a.m. They did officially say there were signs of sexual assault. I'm not sure specifics on that. I know they mentioned the fact that his pants were pulled off of him and his shirt was ripped open. The only DNA evidence they could find around his body was one long strand of hair that was on his hand from someone else. However, nothing came of that. 
They do think that at some point after Blair left the motel, he ate supper somewhere because he had lettuce, meat, and shrimp in his stomach still that had not yet been digested. Authorities did test some of the pieces or rebar and stuff like that from the nearby construction site, but nothing matched what could have killed him. A toxicology report was done and showed that he had no drugs or alcohol in his system. And like I had said up to this point, he was never officially diagnosed with any mental illnesses. The only thing they know is that there was a person who reported hearing a scream around 3.30 a.m. However, they believe that to be a woman's scream. I think it's hard to determine if it's a woman or a man screaming because there's definitely some people out there with deep voices and when they scream, it's very high pitched. Yeah, and vice versa. When I heard that, I was like, I don't think you can really write that off one way or the other. What does the crime scene kind of say to you? Some of it points towards maybe somebody murdered him. But the thing that makes me think somebody else was involved was the fact that he had that blow to his stomach. But like the pants being ripped off and all of that stuff that could have just been or the shirt being ripped open, all of that stuff could have been things that he did putting the shoe under his head. Officials and investigators do say and firmly believe that he it's a homicide. Okay. If that sways you either way. I could see why they say that because of the blow to the abdomen. That one definitely makes you think that somebody else is involved. All the other things I think are things that he could have just done to himself in some sort of fit. But that makes me think that maybe something else, somebody else was involved. Yeah, I do think it'd be probably very hard, damn near impossible to hit yourself in the stomach with something with such force to rupture it. Unless he sprinted full on into something hit something it ruptured because they didn't find the weapon right yeah correct so he could have ran into something really hard ruptured his stomach and then just kind of wandered around and laid down to rest true i kind of wondered the logistics of that and if you could really have the force to do something like that though i no longer question what humans are able to do a couple of the theories that have been tossed around is that maybe blair somehow was the victim of a, they put it as a sexual interaction that went wrong. So there was a nearby area where it was known that there were a lot of prostitutes around there. And so they thought maybe he went there to pay for the services of a prostitute and somehow something went wrong and he ended up getting beat to death by either the prostitute or someone in control of them. But nothing panned out with it. Also, I find it strange that they wouldn't have taken any of the valuables or money because typically when you're in that line of business, it's about the money. That was kind of the other thing that led me to sway kind of away from the homicide was because the fact all of the stuff was left. You'd think that they would have taken it. Maybe I guess were they 100% sure every single item of his was there and like all of his dollars or did whoever do it because somebody could have taken just like a little bit so that it wasn't super noticeable. They instantly ruled out robbery. I assume they probably kind of checked how much was there and compared it to how much he had taken out of his account and they ruled it out pretty quickly. It was a lot of money left with him. It was something like $4,000 and all the jewelry and stuff was still there. So it seems a far reach for them not to take at least a little bit more of that. Yeah, that's fair. 
It also could have been that he really was being followed by someone and they finally caught up to him. See, here's something that I kind of thought about. Obviously, you can look at his clothes being removed as him having some sort of fit. Police and investigators in all the interviews and documentaries and stuff I watched say that his pants were looked like they were pulled off of him. How they keep saying it, it almost makes me wonder if there's something else they're not telling us. But what's odd about it is... The fact that his shirt was pulled open, his pants were off, and his socks were inside out, and his shoes were off. Like, could someone have been searching for something specific? Maybe they weren't there for the money. If he's actually being followed and is involved in something, I wonder if it was someone looking for something he had. And then I kind of thought about how he'd been involved in drugs and stuff in the past. What if somehow that caught up to him and he had, I don't know, had something on someone or maybe it was some old vendetta coming after him. That was kind of my thought, but also, so obviously I didn't see the crime scene like in person, but so I'm going to say that the cops probably know what they're doing when they're what with the investigation and declaring it a homicide. But you said the thing about somebody like searching through the socks or whatever, cause they're inside out. When I take my socks off or my pants off or whatever, my shirt off, 99% of all of that stuff is going to become inside out until I sit there and turn it back right side out. 1000%. That's what I thought. Of course, I, I do wonder what kind of jeans he was wearing because he probably wasn't wearing like tight skinny jeans. Like when I take off my jeans, they're inside out because they're tight. I'm not sure what kind of jeans he was wearing, but... It seems, that's what I was thinking, it did not seem like a far stretch that he would, if he took them off himself, they would be inside out. However, it's strange to be in the middle of a parking lot in the middle of the night and take off all your clothing except your shirt, which is, they said, ripped open. So I assume maybe some of the buttons were broken or something. But if he's actually having some type of like breakdown or something, maybe he felt like he was, I don't know, on fire or something and just trying to rip everything off. And that's possible. I mean, I could see it going either way. The blow to the stomach is the one where you have to kind of think what would have happened. There was something, whether or not he was having some type of uh, mental breakdown, there was some type of outside force. There was another person who was here and delivered that. Here's something else, though, I thought about. Let's say someone was following him and looking for something specific and searching him for it. Why wouldn't they take all the money and valuables to make it look like a robbery? I don't have a good answer. I also wonder, too, why wouldn't he have actually taken that flight to Germany if it was a lower level person maybe actually following him and tracking him? I feel like paying for a ticket to go to Germany would have been less likely for them to do than to just like follow him by vehicle. Also, it's weird that someone would follow him all the way from Canada to Knoxville, Tennessee to murder him unless there was just something so much more intricate going on yeah he either really pissed someone off and they wanted him dead or he just when he got to knoxville he ran into some trouble with somebody there but it's weird because the strange events started happening prior to him arriving there yeah it was you know a big build-up to this there was a lot of weird things going on a lot of frantic behavior up until then and then you're like is it coincidence that he's just like freaking out for not a actual tangible concrete reason? Maybe it's a mental or something in his head. And then he just coincidentally got murdered in the parking lot near his hotel during this. Something that did come to my mind as well is 
that he died from a really hard hit to the stomach. Maybe he got into it with someone and they like kind of beat him up. Didn't mean to murder him. And, you know, that blow to the stomach probably like knocked him down, but he was possibly still alive when it happened and they took off and he just ended up dying as a result of his injuries. It's also possible. It wasn't originally set up to be a murder. It just was an accidental death. It's just a lot of really weird, strange events that don't really have any explanations. It does remind me a lot of the Priceless Visa case because it has all these strange events leading up to this one big kind of blow up. Do you have any other thoughts or theories or things you can think of that would explain any of it? Part of me does wonder if there was some sort of mental illness going on that just wasn't diagnosed. And that was what some of the odd events that were leading up to this. But I don't have an explanation, I guess, for or a thought on what happened the night of the murder or the night of his death. However you want to look at it. I could see it going both ways. I do probably think it was somebody else was involved, but... It doesn't explain everything leading up to it unless somebody really was following him and we think that he was having some sort of break and being a little crazy, but maybe he was just truly terrified and nobody was listening to him. I do think that's a good point. I was reading through just with cases like this. I love to go to like Reddit or places where the story's told and people could comment just to see where everyone else's mind is going and what they're thinking. And someone did mention about how there was a time period in their life where they genuinely thought they were being stalked and they were acting kind of erratic and it didn't make sense. Even though no one was actually stalking them, they find out later, but it caused them to have this kind of strange behavior. So if he really genuinely thought somebody was following him, it explains him acting a little off the cuff. Yeah, I think that it's fair to act a little strange if you feel like somebody's following you. Or maybe someone was following him. Yeah, like I said, maybe somebody was following him and everybody just thought he was crazy and he didn't know what to do. So he's like, I'm just going to go to Knoxville, Tennessee. Either way, like I said, this happened in 1996. And since then, there have been no new suspects, no new leads, no new DNA found, nothing. It's one of those cases that really went cold very fast. And to this day, we still have no answers for what happened to Blair. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.